This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Philosophies and social uh, agendas. How do we wrestle daily with faith and doubt, uh, courage and struggles uh, and fear and various kinds of emotions? And and if you are already a Christian, what is your priority in life? How does the resurrection of Jesus affect how we live in this world? Amongst all the questions that we have. You know, as we unfold the last scene of Matthew's Gospel account, we'll see how Jesus' resurrection changes our interaction with the world. We will see how believers of Jesus can live with great optimism about our future because um, because of what Christ uh, has done or has risen, we'll be comforted beyond this fleeting life. But at the same time, we will start to recognize the realism of the world that we live in because Jesus' resurrection will also re- reveal the ways of the deceivers in this world. And this last scene, we'll also recognize how Christians are called to hold Jesus' commands on one hand and also hold on to his promises on the other as we live out our life. So Jesus' resurrection will set the foundation of how we view our world, how we engage with our emotions, how we um, live these fleeting years that we have at our disposal. Alright, so I hope you are with me and uh, if you keep your Bible opened, um, I'll invite you to join me as we step into the last scene of Matthew's Gospel account and see how our lives will be permanently transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. So if you have Bible or your bulletin, open it up and begin by looking at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 of Matthew 28. And this is what's happening. Now it was kind of Sunday morning at first break of dawn. You have two grieving women who perhaps they had barely slept much over the weekend and they were heading to the tomb of one they used to call their friend, their teacher, their Lord. You now these two grieving women were heading solemnly to the tomb of Jesus. Their hearts have urged them to the tomb. Their hands, if you read the other accounts, they were carrying spices to perhaps balm the body of Jesus more. But their minds question the possibility of them even seeing the body of Jesus. Because just one chapter back in 27, we are told these two women, they were there on Friday evening when they put the body of Jesus in. They rolled in this kind of stone cave that was carved out. They rolled this huge stone right in front. How would they even get in? And we should not even be surprised if these two ladies by the name M and M's, which is Mary and Mary, they have also heard that the tomb was actually guarded by Roman soldiers, if not temple guards, from anyone getting near. But there they are, their hearts have called them and they moved. And just as we are about to look at the tomb, as the two Marys arrive at the scene, the scene suddenly got disrupted by a violent earthquake. Look at verse 2 with me. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, 
rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now all of a sudden, this place for the dead is kind of lit up by divine beings who have arrived from heaven to earth and his appearance struck fear to everyone who has seen him. It is a frightening sight. Imagine yourself being in the middle of a huge thunderstorm and lightning strike next to you. That is how it felt at the moment. In fact, I don't know what to do with free time. When I was, uh, when I was at having some free time, I was reading this article. It says, how to know if you are about to be struck by lightning. So let me share with you this, this account. How do you know if you're about to be struck by lightning? It, it wrote about these two brothers, kind of decades back. They were climbing this Morro Rock in California. And when they were climbing there, they were caught in a thunderstorm. And at first, they were quite amused because strange things start happening. Their hair start to stand on their ends. And they even kind of took photo uh, of it. Uh, this is the actual photo. Um, but the reality is this. The reason why their hair was standing and lifted the air was because electrical charges were surrounding the atmosphere and it was actually nature's last warning for them that the bolt from above are targeting and heading towards them. So these two brothers and and some other people, they took photos, they were heading down the summit when disaster struck. The younger brother was climbing down and the lightning shot at him and he was struck. He was a fortunate one among the few. He was alive, third degree burned. The man next to him was unconscious for six months. The guy further down died straight away. McQuilkin, the older brother, he wrote this years later. He says this, In fact, the ring I had on began to buzz so loudly that everyone could hear it. And he described the lightning here as being kind of engulfed in the brightest light he has ever seen. And then he said, he remembered the time seems to be slowing down at that moment, a sensation of weightlessness and a deafening explosion. And he described this decades after the event happened when he's an old man. This photo was taken in 1975. The appearing of a divine being is frightening and there's no option to kind of avoid it and look away. Violent thunder, the angel's appearance was like lightning, his clothes white as snow, and terror struck the war-trained Roman soldiers. That day, who were supposed to be brave, shook and became like dead men. Now, I just want to kind of pause here and help us to soak in this moment just for this short little while. Because no ounce of courage could withstand the appearance of a single angel of God when the angel arrives at the tomb. And if that's the case, what will happen on that final day when not one angel, but every single angel in heaven arrive and descend from heaven accompanying their King of Kings, their Lord of Lords, the one who was in the tomb, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. On that day, fear will strike all and it will be much greater 
than what is happening at the tomb. On that day, all will shake at the presence of the heavenly glory. And that frightening day of judgment will come. But just not today. This day is a day of a glorious announcement about the resurrection of the king. So look with me to verse 5 to 7 as we journey on. While the guards were left trembling, verse 5 tells us the angel said to the women who were kind of similarly terrified, he said, Do not be afraid, for I know, I know that you are looking for Jesus. The angelic messenger and the message, it brings terror to the soldiers, but here his words brings joy, comfort, and restoration to the ones who love Jesus. Here's the message to the woman in verse 6. Jesus, yes, he was crucified on Friday. Jesus, he was buried here. His body was here on Saturday. But today, today is Sunday, the third day, and he's not here anymore. Just as he has said, he will rise again. Indeed, he has now risen. And then turning to the tomb, the angel continued, Come in. Come and see, check it out. He is no longer in the tomb. And then go, go and tell. Announce to the heartbroken disciples of Jesus that he has risen and they are to travel to Galilee for there their Lord will meet him. Oh, Galilee. You know what's Galilee? Galilee is the place where the disciples have spent most of their time with Jesus. In fact, Galilee was the place where some of them were first called to be the disciples of Jesus. Some of them were there in the sea when Jesus said, come and follow me. That was the place that Jesus says he is going to meet them. And there they will meet the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, what can leave the hearts of troubled followers of Jesus? What can leave the spirit of someone who is discouraged, who is troubled, who is persecuted, who are the followers of Jesus? What can leave the eyes of followers of Jesus who have looked at the ground for too long? And how about us? What will leave your heart up when things go south? The answer is this. It will be the message of the resurrection. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And if Jesus keeps his promise that he says, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again, and he did, then all his other promises to his followers, to us, he will keep it. Because he has kept the hardest. In fact, no enemies can overcome those who love and follow Jesus. Because Jesus has already overcome sin and death. The tomb cannot keep Jesus the tomb will not be able to keep the followers of Jesus. Jesus, when he calls them up, the tomb must give them up. Death must give way to life for all who belongs to Christ, even when we die. That's why when you go to a Christian funeral, they are the only ones who are singing and smiling in tears. Say, these are crazy people. It would have been. But we are not because Christ has risen. This is the glorious beginning of the reality of resurrection. And then after giving his message, the angel concluded with these words, Now I have told you. And here's the point when he said this. The angel did not come from heaven 
down to earth to look for Jesus. He came down to look for the woman. The angel from heaven did not come down to roll the stone away so that Jesus can come out. The angel came down from heaven to earth to roll the stone away so that the woman can go in to see that the tomb is already empty, that Christ has already risen. And if that's not sufficient, we are told this. The woman, they obeyed, they heard it, they ran to tell the disciples they were afraid and yet filled with joy. You know, these two emotions actually can happen at the same time. They were afraid, yet they were filled with joy. And verse 9 says this. Look at verse 9 with me. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clapped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. If the words of the angels have brought a bit of comfort, the words of Jesus have completed it. Such a gentle word, isn't it? Even of a resurrected Lord. He says, greetings. And he says, do not be afraid. And they saw Jesus. He's the same Jesus who they have called friend, teacher, and Lord. But he's not the same as well. Because they are struck with fear. And Jesus has to say, do not be afraid. And then the woman responded in the only way that they knew how and they should. They clapped the feet of Jesus, which is really kind of collapsing the relationship they thought they had lost forever, isn't it? And there they were collapsing the feet of Jesus, something that the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders could never do. And then they worshipped him. And the amazing thing is this, for the Jews, only God can be worshipped. We are told that even angels dare not be worshipped by humans. In the book of Revelation, there was this account where John, the apostle, he saw something so amazing that the angels showed him that he bowed down, he worshipped, he wanted to worship the angel, and the angel said, stop, this is what he says, Revelation 19. In fact, the angel said it twice, 19 and then 22. He said this in Revelation. The angel said to John, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your fellow prophets with all who keeps the words of this scroll, worship God. But here, the resurrected Jesus accepted their worship. And then he said the most comforting, comforting words that a weak, frail, and broken follower of Jesus would long to hear. This is what Jesus says, speaking about his cowardly disciples who fled on Thursday, at his arrest, in fact, the lead among them, Peter, denied Jesus three times. Jesus pronounced forgiveness on them with these very words. He said this, look at it. Go and tell those cowards. Go and tell my brothers. My brothers. Tell them to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Wished. Sinner dares to stand in the presence of God unless he has been forgiven. And here Jesus not only forgives them, he calls them brothers and then he tells the woman to pass the message, I want to see them. Dear friends, the resurrection of Jesus brings great comfort to all who truly follows him. In this world, when everyone tries to collapse fleeting treasures and pleasures and comfort, 
the followers of Jesus, we will go and collapse Jesus himself. Because there is where we find comfort that brings everlasting optimism because Jesus who have risen, he will raise his followers as well. And Jesus knows, you know what? Jesus knows the frailty of his disciples. Jesus knows the frailty of all who loves him. But Jesus never casts the weak that belongs to him away. Do we remember that? There will be times where we are weak. There are times we seem that we have failed him. But Jesus never casts away those who are his, even though they look weak. He is not only going to forgive us and call us back to his own. He's going to come and bring us into his family if we'll come to him, which the disciples would do later in Galilee. So the message of the angel is this. In fact, this is such a wonderful message. The message of the angel is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was dead. Jesus was buried. But now Jesus is alive. He's risen. And the comfort of the Lord for us is this. Do not be afraid. But go and tell those who are mine. And I will meet them. Dear friends, there is great restoration. There is great comfort available for all who truly belongs to Jesus and comes to Him, who let go of the world and claps the feet of Jesus. And this invitation is for all, including you and including me. But not so for the enemies of Christ. His resurrection will bring them no comfort. He only reveals the true deceptions of those who are the enemies of God. So before looking at verse 11 to 15, I just want to point us briefly to what actually happened before Jesus resurrected. Um, just one day before that, which is found in Matthew 27, 62 to 66 that we read. This is what happened just before resurrection. 62 says this in Matthew 27. The next day, one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. What is it? The day before Sunday was the holy Sunday. It was Sabbath. It was the it was the Sabbath in the week that is one of the most important in the Jewish calendar. The Passover week, isn't it? But the religious leaders, you know what? They were not keeping Sabbath as they have been drilling Jesus and everyone in the whole of gospel, isn't it? Every time it's the problem is Sabbath, Sabbath. But guess what? This most important one, they are not keeping Sabbath. What are they doing? Look at it. They were gathered together, but they were not to seek God at the temple. They went to seek the Roman instituted governor, Pilate. They went to Pilate and they said, Sir, you know what? The word sir actually in Greek is the same as the word Lord. So he could well be saying this. Look at verse 62 to 66. They could well be saying this. Lord, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver Jesus said, after three days I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. You know what? On Sabbath, well, the disciples of Jesus, they were keeping Sabbath because they are so grieved, they are so sorrowful. They kind of can't do anything. They're just, just grieving. Um, the, the religious leaders were breaking all the Sabbath laws. They were gathering. 
They were remembering, trying to think, what did Jesus say beforehand? The disciples have forgotten Jesus said, He's going to rise in three days. And the, the religious leaders are there saying, He said He's going to rise in three days. We make sure that it does not happen. And so they gather to Pilate, and they say, We are going to keep the tomb secure. Just three days is all we need. We just need to keep this tomb, one tomb, secure for three days against some fishermen and their friends. We're guarded with the armed guards of Pilate, the best among the, the temple guards. It's under the command of Pilate and the highest religious orders, and we will make it secure. And you know what? After three days, all that Jesus teach, all that Jesus claims, they'll go to nothing. Because when he does not raise, these are just all part of history. They're just words of a man. So they went to Lord Pilate. Pilate gave them the guard. In fact, Pilate says, make it as secure as they can. Three days, that's all they need. But they couldn't keep it. The angel arrived on Sunday, declared Jesus was risen from the dead. And this is where Matthew 28, 11 continues. Look at this passage with me carefully. Verse 11. What well, women were on their way to tell the disciples of Jesus what they have saw and heard. Some of the guards, they went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. When the chief priests and had met with the elders, what did they do? They realized they were wrong. Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was from God, Jesus was the Son of God. Oh, they have been foolish, they have been wrong. The chief priests along with the elders quickly searched for Jesus. They found him, they asked for forgiveness. Is that what it's saying? It's not what happens, isn't it? Because here comes the most horrific revelation at the resurrection of Jesus. The news of angels, the empty tomb, the resurrection did nothing to change the hearts of these religious leaders. Those who were meant to protect God's people. Those who were meant to point people to God. It did nothing to them. The news only revealed who they truly were. That all along, they were the deceivers wrapped in religious clothes. So as we step back and look back at the whole gospel account that we have, this is actually the underlying truth, that the religious leaders never cared if Jesus was the Messiah. The religious leaders, whatever they say, they never really cared whether Jesus was the Son of God. Because this is the case. If a man dares to cross their path, they will get rid of this man. If God dares to cross their path, they will even get rid of God. That's what is actually happening. They were just the followers of the, the deceiver himself, dressed in religious clothes. So the resurrection of Jesus restores his people, but the resurrection of Jesus reveals the followers of Satan, who are merely trying to deceive. So as some of the guards, they went, they reported everything that happened to the chief priest. The chief priest and those who were supposed to be the religious leaders, the elders, they came together and verse 14 says this, they devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them to lie. 
You have to say it. His disciples came during the night, stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Oh, such a horror in the deception. And such a ridiculous plan. You know, the soldiers are meant to claim, no, we were asleep on this important assignment. The, the disciples came quietly, undetected. They kind of managed to roll this huge stone while we were snoring. They went in, actually. They, they had so much time, they kind of unwrapped the linen cloth and just took the naked body of Jesus. And by the way, we were kind of asleep, but we do know that it was the disciples who had taken the body of Jesus. It was so ridiculous that if the news get to Pilate, he will not believe it at all. But then, they have a plan that says, but don't worry, we will satisfy him. Just as we have to you, as they handed them large sum of money. This is the way of the deceivers. Dear friends, there are two responses to the resurrection of Jesus, isn't it? The first is that the true followers of Jesus, they investigate the evidence, they believe, they were comforted, they rejoiced, Jesus kept his word, and they proclaim the gospel to the world. The second group, at the resurrection news of Jesus, they are the true deceivers, the enemies of God. Although they are among the first to hear the news, they knew the truth without a doubt. They choose to suppress it, and they choose to run parallel with truth, a lie to deceive the world. In fact, this is the very warning Paul gave back in Romans 1. Romans 1 says this, let me just Read this for us. Romans 1 verse 18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. No, we have seen this suppression of truth that's being repeatedly being played out in the gospel account and now it reaches its climax when it was without a doubt that the tomb was open, the grave was empty, the angel had appeared, and the religious says, just take some money and say something else. So friends, great comfort, great joy, great optimism for those who are the followers of Jesus. But there's also great realism in this world because of the resurrection because this is the realism, truth will not always make you friends. Sometimes truth will bring great persecution, threats and suffering. Sometimes truth will result in people offering you temptation and seductive things in exchange uh, for compromise. The world may offer you wealth, pleasure, comfort, relief, if you will just say something else. The resurrection truth will set God's people free when they hear it. The resurrection truth will reveal the ploys of those who are not. May we never dip our hands into the ploy with the deceivers and share their spoils. No, we may be weak. There will be times, Christians, we may sin. But forgiveness is available. Restoration is available when we repent and come back to God and come back to Jesus he has done that at the tomb to the worst uh, offense. He will continue to do so for those who come back to him. But may we never share into the ploy of the deceivers. Let me just read to you something very haunting that Jesus said. Just two chapters 
beforehand in Matthew 26. Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 23 to 24. He says, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now on that day of judgment, when a host of angels arrive, not one is missing, with the King of Kings, the Judge, and the Lord of Lords there, it is better for those who have deceived and those who have betrayed the Lord not to have been born. It will be a lot worse than the guards who have seen that one angel. But now we may ask, so Andrew, how then must the resurrection of Jesus affect the way we live right now? And that's where we come to the last five verses of this gospel account. Let me read to you verse 16 to 17 first. Then the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now I just want to spend a brief moment here looking at verse 16 and 17 because it's such an honest and actually unedited account by Matthew. Matthew mentions the 11 disciples who had to travel many days. It's kind of almost a 100 miles from Jerusalem to Galilee with all the roads. It took about many days to reach Galilee and they saw Jesus. And like the woman, they realized Jesus was who he was and the only thing they could do was to worship him. But then Matthew added these three, three words there. But some doubted. It's actually quite a difficult inclusion. Uh, but, but Matthew just put it in, right? And I'm not 100% sure how we could actually interpret it. But I think it's possible that while all, all the 11 are worshipping, some are actually struggling to digest the magnitude of this whole event. Perhaps some of them doubted or hesitated. Will everything that Jesus says be fulfilled? Is this how we will look like in the future? Will Jesus really come back for us? No, there's only one other place in this whole book of Matthew where, where the word doubt and worship comes together. It happens to be on the 12 disciples, now 11 as well. It happens in Matthew 14. Matthew 14 has this interesting account that Jesus was walking on water and, and they saw him and Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. Jesus says, come. So he trusted the Lord. He started a walk. He was walking on water, but the wind kind of chilled him a little bit. He got frightened. He looked around. He started to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. Immediately, the Lord stretched out his hand, caught him. And he says to Peter, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And then after they climbed to the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, truly, you are the Son of God. So here we have, there's so much to process for kind of limited and kind of sin-bound um, humans. That even after seeing Jesus and believing Him to be the Son of God, there are things that kind of limits their ability to understand. Doubts perhaps come because of, because of the limitation of humanity or clouded by our sinful nature. Which is why Jesus concludes actually, not with that, but with this that we can manage in verse 18 to 20. And this is where we'll look at um, the words of Jesus from 18 to 20. These are actually three parts to these three verses. Um, the first one is actually kind of Jesus' declaration in verse 18. And the second is his commission from verse 19 to 28. 
and finally you end off with a promise. This three dimension actually summarizes and makes sense for the followers of Jesus how to actually practically live and juggle with kind of optimism of the future, realism of the world while waiting for Jesus. This three, three verses actually helps to put things in order. So let me read the first one, which is the declaration, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And when Jesus says, he says, all authority, he literally means all authority because the moment he has defeated death, there's nothing else that is undefeatable. Even death swallows his people out. He says, spit it out. And death has to spit the followers of Jesus into the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus has already resurrected. I just want to use an illustration to help us understand this. You know the movie uh, Lord of the Rings, um, Gerald Tolkien's. I realize not everyone is of that age to watch. I thought that was kind of a, a everybody show, but but here it is. Imagine um, Lord of the Rings. Imagine the director Peter Jackson. He kind of completed the trilogy. You know the Sauron, the ring. They were kind of completely destroyed. And then there were the heroes. If you don't know a show, the heroes called Fredo, uh, Frodo, not Fredo. Fredo is the chocolate. Frodo, Gandalf, Bilbo, Elrond, and others. They kind of, they were alive and they sat on this, um, boat towards the undying land. So imagine you have Peter Jackson's, okay? You have, you have filmed and finished this portion. Now you're going to continue with the, the, the whole movie. You know what? No other scenes within the movie, no matter how frightening, how dreadful, how hopeless it is, will change the fact that the ring will be destroyed. The evil will be killed. The heroes will end up in the undying land. There's no um, obstacle will be such that Frodo will actually die. Because no matter what happens, the ending has already been sealed up. He's going to the undying land. And the same goes for our world. On the day when Jesus resurrected from the dead and overcome death, the ending has been sealed. And because that has been sealed, no matter what it looks like in this world, there is nothing that can overcome the authority of Jesus because the ending will be such that his followers and those who are with him will end up in the kingdom of heaven. That's why all authorities in heaven and on earth, is with Jesus. And because of that, he gives his commission in confidence in verse 19 to 20a. So let me read that for us. Therefore, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the commission begins with the word therefore, because therefore, that ending has been sealed. So now, these are the instructions, four quick instructions. Because he has the authority, he says to the disciples, therefore, number one, go. Number two, make disciples. Of oh, a few people, but all peoples, race, language, gender, age. Number three, baptizing them in the name of the trying God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And number four, teaching them to obey all that they have learned from Jesus. So these four instructions, go. Make disciples, baptize, and teach them to obey. This will result in what? In a circle that will go on and on every generation, up to our generation, 
up to Jesus' return. Because it is by the obedience of this commission that we get to be disciples of Jesus. We are able to baptize and confess Him. We are able to learn more about Him. And in the process, we are able to tell someone else. And this has carried on for the last 2,000 years and this will carry on until the ending and the credits roll when Christ appears again. And this is what we are called to do. So we kind of round this up together, friends. How about us? Are we involved in this going? Going out to tell people about Jesus, could be our workplace, our home, our friends, school friends, parents of school friends, or even overseas. Can we kind of help each other to do this going a bit better? Because I think I'm not very good at it. Uh, I don't think most of us are very good at it, but we can help each other to get better at this. Are we praying for those who have actually shared before? And we pray for them. Are we supporting those who have already gone? It could be prayers, it could be letters, it could be email, it could be finances, it could be a home when they pass through. Now, my lecturer once told me this. He says most people are ready to stay in their comfort and once in a while go out. But he says the gospel is the opposite. We must always be ready to go, but willing to stay. That we are ready to go, but willing to stay. Are we going? Number two, are we making disciples? Have we read the Bible with someone and tell them the full gospel of what the angel said to the women? And are we professing our allegiance to Jesus through baptism? Just now I was having a chat about baptism, and this is it. Baptism does not save you, does not save me. But baptism reveals our obedience to Christ, who says, you are not ashamed of me. When I return, I will not be ashamed of you. And finally, are we teaching others and each other the commands of Jesus? Do we speak truth in love? Do we obey the words of Jesus? We are told the scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, righteousness. Are we using the scriptures usefully? In fact, do we meditate on the scriptures uh, at all? Let us not be mere pew warmers. You know what pew warmers? Pew warmers are those who make sure that the seats are warm every Sunday, but lives are not changed. May we never be pew warmers because it is not by warming the pews that make us the followers of Jesus, but that we respond. So here are the four instructions Jesus commissioned his followers who claim to follow him. And the beauty is this, when we hold on to these four instructions that Jesus has for us, the last one, he says, stretch out your hand, and when you do, he says this in 20 verse, uh, part B, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, He will be with us in all of this. He didn't say it's easy, but He says He'll be with us. Can you find any other words that are more comforting uh, in times of suffering, more strengthening in times of weakness, more joy in times of sorrow, more hope in times of darkness, more forgiveness in times of weaknesses, more optimism in times of realism when it strikes? 
than to hear Jesus say, and I will be with you always till I come back and we see each other face to face. He will not be at Galilee, but he will come down for us. So because of Jesus' promise, you know, we can actually say what King David said in that famous Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So friends, as we kind of conclude our whole Matthew series that we have persevered on for the last many months, let's come back to this question we started off right at the start. How does the resurrection of Jesus affect how we live in this world? And let me summarize this in 30 seconds. All who come to Jesus, He offers forgiveness, comfort, and restoration. And if you are a Christian, the resurrection of Jesus will help us to hold in balance optimism for our future and the realism as we engage with the world. As we look at the commission that Jesus has given us, we are able to respond, to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach people to obey, because Jesus will be with us in all of this. Let us pray. Oh Father, we thank you for the gospel according to Matthew as he records it for us. And so we know the words of Jesus, and so we can live in confidence knowing He has risen from the dead, and we can hold the balance of joy for the future and challenges in our life at this moment. And we know the priorities we have in this world because it has been done generation after generation to us by obedient followers of Jesus. So help us to be obedient to Christ and help us to live in joy and confidence that we too will be raised from the dead when Christ returns. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.